Week two of a series called Becoming a Prophetic People. And uh, I set up the topic last week, um, and I highlighted particularly the importance of, the, of the, the whole topic, the idea of the prophetic. Uh, that'll be an ongoing theme as we weave our way through this. I also explained what we mean, what we mean by this, this expression prophetic, which actually covers quite a wide range of things. To, to start off um, today, I just want to share a couple of thoughts um, that I think might be helpful to you. Uh, what Bill Johnson would call a, a kind of a fireside chat really. And here's my, here's my suspicion. My suspicion is that when we mention the word prophecy, quite a few people Maybe even the majority kind of switch off, and they think, you know, that, that's just that's just not me. I don't hear from God. I don't I don't see anything in the future. You know, there's this special lofty category of people called prophets. I don't know. I would, let's just leave this whole area to them. And I'd like to say, right, please don't disengage from this, thinking that it is not relevant to you. And I just want to start by sharing two mus musings that, that speak into that, stirred up, at least in part, by conversations that I had after the message last week. The first one is, is that we have set out here to be a naturally supernatural people. One of our kingdom values to be naturally supernatural and to be supernaturally natural. Amen. Uh, I was taught at a uh, discipleship class when I was in my teens, naturally spiritual or spiritually natural. And the question is, I think, where, where does one of those begin and the other end? Where, where do your thoughts end? And God's begin. Is it as clear cut as that? Can we section one off over there, or one off over there, or is there a little bit more of an overlap? You know, I'd say that the more you grow in this, the more you grow in this kind of thing, the more you grow in the prophetic, the more the edges start to blur a little bit. I put it like this. Does God drop thought into your psyche and you don't even really notice? If so, that's prophetic. You have a deep in conversation with someone and try and help them see, see the wood from the trees and, and some bright idea jumps into your heart. That may well be prophetic. When you're, when you're boldly and passionately praying for something or, or, or for some person, are you praying over them or might you actually be prophesying over them? Simon, earlier, was he praying over them? Were they praying over or were they prophesying over? Is it as clear cut as a portion one over here and one over here? You know, you're praying the promises of God over them, but who put that promise into your head in the first place? If God did, then that's called prophetic. As 
might seem like a trite example, I apologise, but as I was in the shower, who else has all their inspiration in the shower? Because you can't take your smartphone in there, that's why. And I'm staring, I'm going to bear my soul, I'm staring at a light fixture that's broken in our bathroom. And it's not the bulb, because I can change bulbs. But that's about the end, as personal test, of my practical skills. And to cut a long story, I just, I had a really good idea right there in the shower that might solve the problem. You know, I, I'm not going to say that, you know, I heard choirs of angels and I saw flashing lights. I'm not sure whether that idea was from my head or his. Suffice it to say, there's not a lot in my head, particularly when it comes to practical things and light fixtures. It's a great idea, but maybe, maybe God put that thought. Dropped it into my mind. I would say this, you're almost certainly more prophetic than you think. And I just want you to remember this, that supernatural does not necessarily mean spectacular. But it does mean inspired. We talked about that a bit last week. So, so don't close the door to the prophetic thinking it's just beyond reach, because you know, sometimes it's quiet, sometimes it's subtle. I put it like this, we're called to be naturally supernatural, not necessarily spectacularly supernatural, or overtly or noisily supernatural. And I think that opens the door much wider in this whole realm. The second thought I had, and, and bear with me, you love me, right? Even though I'm wearing a sad from the top. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you love me particularly today. Let, let me ask you this question. Do we want to be safe and comfy? The whites don't, but we knew that. Yeah. Or do we want to be inquisitive and bold? Now, some of you are really uncomfortable now in your seats. You know, it's entirely natural, it's entirely understandable to be sitting there thinking, you know what, I like it just here. And the question is, I think, if God says something prophetic, is that going to knock me off my comfortable perch? You know, God, please don't upset the apple cart. Please don't change my course. Please don't throw me a curveball. You know, I get that, I'm right there with you. I'm not a great fan of curveballs. You know, I think it's a big step to ask God, what are you saying? Think, think of the upheaval that brought to certain Old Testament characters. Think about Abraham. What are you saying, Lord? Pack up your bags and leave to a place far away, and I'm not even going to tell you where yet. Go. Think about the upheaval it brought to Moses. Think about the upheaval it brought to Samuel. But I'd say this. God is looking for, to use an Old Testament word, he's looking for a remnant who will hear his voice and answer his call. Again, I've said this a lot recently. Do we want the very best that we can do or are we prepared to open the door to what he can do? 
But that might mean a new idea. It might mean a shift in direction. It might mean answering a ministry call. You know, I'd say, I understand the desire to be safe and comfy. But, do we trust God? Do we want what He has for us? Is there a danger that we are settling for second best? Might there be more? And so I'd encourage you as we work our way through this course, I'd encourage you to be, to be open-minded and open-hearted. And to say to the Lord, as Samuel did, however temp tentatively, speak Lord, your servant is listening. See, I'm not sure that the word Christianity is spelt S-A-F-E. I reckon it's spelt, I'll check my spelling here, A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E. Amen. It's got you thinking, is not it? <laughs> right. Okay, so today I want to talk about having a prophetic ear. Just to go back a little bit, last week I, I talked about three different categories of people, simplifying things I know. The first one was, was that fivefold ministry, Ephesians 4 verse 11, gift of a prophet. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Right, so there are definitely prophets. And then the second category is, is those that we talk about who, who clearly have some kind of prophetic gifting, prophetic leaning. And then the third day I said, this is where you all paid attention, that we can all be prophetic because we can all hear from God. You know, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. We're all temples. We're all in relationship with Him. We're all praying. We're all seeking. We're all reading our Bibles. All of us can hear from Him. Which makes the priority for us being able to hear the voice of God. And hence today's title, which is A Prophetic Ear. In other words, we need to be able to hear and to be able to recognise the voice of the Holy Spirit. Just to sort of wake your appetite, John chapter 10, which is a great chapter, as you know, verse 1 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate will surely be a thief and robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Verse 3, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognise his voice and come to him. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Kind of a um, little, little segue. We, we, we got another dog this weekend. <laughs> um, and, and he's got a slightly strange name. His name's Eric. <laughs> he's an eight month old Irish setter. And Kevin said, Are you going to tell everyone this morning? I said, No. <laughs> anyway, Eric is an eight month old Irish setter. He's lovely. But he's called Eric. <laughs> Anyone here, can I be very cautious? A bit back to it. Anyone here called Eric? Your dad was Okay. I, I would suspect, now, now shoot me wrong if I'm wrong here, I think your dad probably really suited the word Eric. I'm not 
sure my eight-month-old Irish nephew Eric is quite good. So we, we've been talking about should we change his name? And, and actually, the, the conversation our family's got actually doesn't really matter what we call him. As long as there's enough excitement in your voice, they come. So they said, we said, so Ollie said, you can call him anything. And we'll go, anything! And Eric will come trotting over. The point being that they recognise the voice. It's not my nose at all, sorry, I apologise. They recognise the tone. They know who's talking to them, these dogs. Plus, they know we have food. So they come running over. Okay, that, back on script. Sorry about that. Couldn't resist temptation. Now, now, I don't need to, I, I don't wish to worry you, but I can pretty much guarantee you are almost all certainly hearing lots of voices. Okay, I, no, I apologize, I'm not calling you all crazy. But you know what, there are numerous influences that are tugging on your mind, fighting for attention, and demanding to be heard. I've got a list of seven different voices. Seven different voices that you are probably all hearing, and you'll recognise and you'll identify most of them, I think. The first one is, is your conscience. The second one is your intuition. Now, I put those together deliberately. You know, like, like God, we've been created in His image. We are a spirit being. Right? I, I heard it put like this when I was going, that you are a spirit, and that you have a soul, and that you live in a body, and when it dies, you get a training for glorious one. That's the good news. So, so you actually, actually you are a spirit. You know, and that spirit has a voice. And, and that voice comes in two main forms. The first one is conscience, and the second one is intuition. So, so in simple terms, con conscience is, the, is that inbuilt moral compass. Yeah. We all have it. We don't all always listen to it. The Bible says that our conscience can become seared, can become hardened. But, but that's conscious. Intuition is, is often called common sense. You ever hear that common sense voice? Speaking from the inside, Jamie, third Irish letter, what are you doing? <laughs> we prayed, you know, we prayed. And we said, Lord, if this is your will. <laughs> there were 25 people who wanted Eric. <coughs> and they chose us. You know what they said they were looking for? Common sense. <laughs> <laughs> and we introduced them to Ollie, Joel and Toby. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm being very naughty this morning. So, so, so intuition is that, that inward common sense. So I've heard it put like this. The conscience is, is a constraining and warning voice. And intuition is a guiding voice. The point being that your inner being has a voice. Right, that, that's the first one. The third one is your flesh. The flesh is those, those internal desires and lusts and impulses. So Paul, he, he, in his writings, he talks about, about the flesh enticing us away from God 
and the Spirit drawing us to God, two distinct voices there. If you're not sure what I'm thinking about, again, a simple basic example. Have you tried praying when you're hungry? <coughs> right? Voice of flesh. Eat, 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 eat. Eat, eat. Don't pray, 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 pray. Go in the bed and snack talk. Right? That, that's your flesh in very sort of trite, simple terms. I wanted to go slightly deeper than that. I'd say that the flesh is those parts of your soul that God hasn't quite gotten to and renewed yet. We know that when we become a Christian, we are gloriously born again, a great deal of changes, but not all the chains have fallen off yet. Right? Not all the hurts have been healed yet. And there are certain things deep inside of us that need to get sorted. They have a voice. It's called the flesh. The fourth one I'm going to call your experience and training. You know, we all have deeply ingrained principles and practices and habits. But they're really hard to shake. You know, your thinking has been shaped by what you've meditated on for years, maybe decades. Particularly, of course, that they talk about what we pick up in those formative Yes, it's a very strong voice. You know, and if, if that training, if that shaping is biblical, that's great. And again, I, I heard it said many times that the best guide you could possibly have is a heart filled with his word. Yeah. If, however, it's, it's contra-biblical, that, that training, that programming, then it can get us into a little bit of trouble as we'll see perhaps in a minute. Voice number five working through these is the world. Okay, we are bombarded, aren't we, with, with marketing, with, with images, we're bombarded with philosophies, and we're bombarded by ideologies. Just watch the next television program you watch and see what you are being bombarded with. And again, this is another extremely strong voice which is shouting at us constantly. Hence Romans 12, verse 2, which says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. You know, we all experience from the world this tugging pressure to conform. That, that's voice number five. Then we, we enter into the spiritual dimension, the supernatural dimension. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 12 says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. So there is a supernatural element to Number six is, is demons, the demonic, ever whispering lies in your ear. We just read John chapter 10. It talked about the voice of the shepherd, and it talked about the voice of the stranger who comes to steal. John 10 verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. We're talking about that voice. I was, again, I was taught that the devil operates in the realm of suggestive thought. Yeah. Think about Adam and Eve. Suggestive thought. You know, what about? Have you tried? It'll be fun. Do you really think? Are you sure? Those are sort of suggestive thoughts, ideas, lies, and the enemy just drops in from time to time. Remember the scene where Jesus says to Peter in very, very strong terms, looking him in the eye, sorry Phil, <laughs> get thee behind me, Satan. Okay, he wasn't talking to Peter, right? 
clearly. Every now and again, you need to have a get thee behind me, Satan yeah. moment. Yeah. You know, we talked recently, haven't we, 2 Corinthians chapter, and this idea of taking every thought captive at source. And that, I suppose, is what this topic is all about. Discerning and distinguishing between all these seven voices. We haven't got to the best one yet. But, but in terms of this one, number six, the stone-cold reality is that there are seducing, nagging, lying, unclean spirits that are trying to lean on you and influence you and ultimately destroy you. Right, I told you hearing voices. Number seven. Number seven is the voice of the Holy Spirit. A couple of verses for you. John 14, 26. But the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance all the things that I said to you. Luke 12, verse 11 and 12. Remember the context. Do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Galatians 5, verse 25. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. That presupposes that the Holy Spirit is leading you in every part of your life. So what I want to do in this, this next section here, before we wrap up, is to look at the three main ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. To, to, to clarify, there are other ways that, that won't be on my list for the sake of time. Hinted at them last week, things like dreams and visions. Sometimes God will speak to you through an audible voice. Examples, Peter and Cornelius in the New Testament, Paul on the road, Saul on the road to Damascus. Sometimes, sometimes God will speak through angelic visitation. Sometimes he will speak to you through prophetic words. But, all those beside, there are three main voices. The first voice it is the Holy Spirit revealing his word. Again, we talked about this last week. Psalm 119, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Verse 130, the entrance and unfolding of your words gives light. And so God, under the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uses his word to teach us and guide us and lead us, to illuminate and to direct and to redirect. He uses it to warn, he uses it to correct as we read it and as we meditate on it and as we I'll put it like this. This is a hint a little bit towards next week. You know, you can read the Bible, and this isn't sacrilege, I think this is reality for many, and it can seem as dry as old boots. I don't wish to be able to reverend with that expression. Or, or the Holy Spirit can shine his light on that word and bring it to life. And it becomes as though he's speaking directly into your life, your situations, your circumstances, and your heart. Well, we call that revelation. And we look at that next week when we look at the prophetic eye. So number one is God speaking to you through the 
Holy Spirit. And I know that for many of you, that's probably the primary way that God speaks to you. The second way is called the inward witness. The inward witness is an, an inner leading. It's, it's a gut feeling. It, it, it's an impression. It, it's a hunch or, or a nudge. We used to say in the old days, I just know it in my knower. This, I think, is the Holy Spirit leaning on your spirit, on the inside of you, your spirit, and the Holy Spirit are dwelling together in fellowship. And I just get the sense of the Holy Spirit kind of leaning on us a little bit, creating in us this, this kind of sense, this perception. You know, what does, what does he say? He says things like this, be careful. He says things like this, take note. Here's the choice, choose that one. Just, just that inward impression. We, we talk about seeing a, a go or a no. We talk about seeing a green light or a red. Either way, it's kind of an inward sense or witness from the Holy Spirit. Three biblical examples. Paul, in Acts 27, verse 9, says, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with injury and much damage. No neon signs, no flashing lights, no angelic visitations, no prize of angels. He just had this sense, this witness, this perception that they were in trouble. Acts 15, 28 is a famous one where they said, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It just seemed good. Sometimes it seems good, sometimes it doesn't. And we need to learn to listen to that voice. Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. That's that go or that no. A couple of examples uh, that I'll, I'll share. Uh, might, might sound a little trivial, but I'm convinced this was God teaching me how he communicates with us. You know, in a relationship, you need to teach the other one how to communicate with you wives. Say amen. You know, we communicate everything. You need to teach the other one how you communicate. What's your love language? That kind of thing. But I'm convinced that, that in my young Christian days, God used various different things to teach me the, the limits of what he could do. There are limits. So one, uh, this is quite a long time ago. The reason it doesn't apply anymore is we now have this thing called Google Maps. Okay, so back in the day when Kat and I were driving to work together, oh, halcyon days, many years ago, and, and you know, we used to live in this place called Epsom, which is on this big road called the M25, you might have heard of it. Little dubious road, uh, prone to blockage, and we only had to go on two junctions, we had a choice of routes. And in the early days, we'd look at the routes and we'd go, should we go that way or that way? Now, Catherine has a far better sense of direction than me, to be fair, so I would often bow, but you know what? Often in that situation, I just have a sense, all I can say, not to go that way, or to go that way. And yes, I remember a few times early on where I would say, you know, good sportsman husband, no, that's fine, honey, we'll go your way. And then hitting the, kind of hitting the great big tail back, how did you know? And I say, I don't know how I know, I just knew. It was just a perception, just a, a sense that I had on the inside. Another one is, and, and, and again, this might sound trivial, but, but I had Joyce Meyer talk about this, and then I knew it was true. She calls it the shopping anointing. Suspicious, I know. But I just, I just know in 
I, I know. I know that I, when I'm standing outside a shop, Catherine will say, do you want to look? I'm looking for a certain thing, right? You know, perhaps a new Sarkis shirt, for example. And, and Catherine will say, do you want to go in that shop? And I just, I just know, no. I just know that. And sometimes I know to go in the shop, and sometimes I don't. How do I know? I don't know how I know. I just have this inward witness, this sense. So I, I don't hear the voice, I don't see neon lights, I don't see a plane, this is how I dream of God speak to me, a plane with that banner behind Jamie, I'm telling you this, across <laughs> my screen. But just that impression, that sense, that hunch, if you like. People talk about experiencing a, a check in your spirit. But people talk about, about, about sensing a peace on the inside or or perhaps an unsettledness on the inside. Do you know what this is? This is, this is the Holy Spirit, deep in your gut, just leaning on you. And interestingly, uh, in the Bible, particularly the old King James Version, they knew a thing or two. He often, they often talk about, about the belly when they're talking about the, the inner parts of man. So, so an example would be John 7, 38. He that believeth on me, as the scripture is in, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Have you ever felt your spirit leap? Have you ever felt your Have you ever experienced what we would call butterflies in the stomach? Have you ever experienced that and wondered what that is? I'll give you another example for me. This is many, many years ago. You know, last millennium, let alone last century or decade, uh, when I was a student, so I got to use a bit of imagination, and I'd gone to support um, the University of Cross team in Manchester, and we were driving back. And we got to Bristol on the way down to the glorious land, Exeter, and we stopped at Gordano Services. As one does. In fact, there was a run from Gordano to Exeter with a record time, but we didn't try that. And you know, we're in the services, just having a bit of a break. It's probably 10, 30 at night. And I just felt really unsettled on the inside. Really unsettled. Wasn't sure what it was. But you know, I just felt the impulse to pray. I'm sitting in a car with four guys, several of whom have probably had a couple of beers. But they're sitting in the back. The music that is on is, is really horrible, worldly, heavy metal music. I'm not in a church service feeling the call of the Lord, right? In fact, I would go so far as to say at that stage of my life, I wasn't even particularly walking desperately close, close to God at that point. And I just had the impression to pray. And so in that context, pretty much all I could do was just pray to myself under my breath in tongues. And so what happened? As we reached Exeter, just the lights came on. We had a massive blowout and the car spanned. And I think we hit the central reservation and we ended up in the middle lane facing that way. Do you know what? Not one of us had a scratch on our bodies. I did get to have my first ride in an ambulance though, it's exciting. But, but you know, I'm convinced that God showed, just showed me in advance. He didn't write the script. All he did was just create me this impression that, that led me to pray. And I'm convinced the prayers that I prayed in the Spirit placed a covering over us in that situation. Interestingly, another, one of the girlfriends of one of the guys, the driver actually, she's not a Christian, she should have premonition as she was driving or something going wrong. That's another story altogether. 
I say all that to say this. I'm convinced there are probably numerous times, I put myself at the front of the line here, where had we followed the inward witness, we could have spared ourselves all sorts of pain and difficulty and heartache. And probably, if you're honest, you can sit through and replay a few instances where you thought, you know what, I just knew, but I did, and look what a kind of mess it got me into. And here's the point, referring that into some of those other voices. That sometimes we do the obvious, sometimes we do the, the habitual and the routine at the expense of attending to God's whisper, that, that inward voice, that check. But I always go that way. That's the route I always go home from work, so I'm going to keep going. Or do you know That's the way I always respond in that situation. That's my experience, or the world's saying this, or my flesh is calling out to me this, and we miss that and then wonder why we crash and burn. Wonder why we, we, we miss it. Wonder why we get hurt. And the point that I'm trying to make is that all of this, this falls into this category called prophetic. So often, I, I think the edges are a bit blurred in all of this. Right, one more to go. Still small voices, number three. I'll, I'll read the obvious passage. Uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19, the situation is we've had the episode on Mount Carmel, which is just a fantastic one. If you remember that one with, with Elijah and the prophets of Baal and the offerings and all that great story. God consumes Elijah's offering, demonstrates his power, sets the world of light, blaze as it were. But then Ahab, who's the king, and Jezebel, who's kind of the, I don't know, the wicked woman in the Old Testament, they, in modern parlance, they put out a hit on Elijah. He's got a price on his head. So he hides under a tree to begin with, and then God sends him to Mount Sinai, which is kind of the holy place, one of the holy places in the Old Testament. And, it, and he reports that he's hiding in a cage. Cage. Cave. Big difference between cage and cage. Hiding in a cave. And it goes like this. It says, God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. A mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. The old translations say there was a still, small voice. In verse 13, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the edge of the cave, and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so, so if the inward witness is an impression, if it's a, a gut feeling or a nudge, then this is an inward voice. It's different, a different voice to your conscience, it's a different voice to your intuition. Those are your internal voice. This one is God's voice. It's almost though like the Holy Spirit dropped something into your heart. The still small voice is clearer and more authoritative than your own thoughts. In your spirit, it's almost so real that you look around and say, who said that? 
Isaiah 30, verse 24, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in. Again, just an illustration, just to give you, for me, this again, this is many years ago, the M25. What am I telling you? The M25, I'm sitting, my stepbrother is in the passenger seat, I'm quite young at this point, we're driving behind a skip, uncovered, in the middle lane of the M25. Clear as a bell in my head, a voice says, pull over, pull over. So I've, I've learned to, to take that voice seriously. So I pull from the middle lane to the outside lane. As I did so, a pile of rubble fell off the back of the skip. And the only word that could, I had, had time to get the words, praise God, Amen. out of my lips. All I could say, I had a little thud in front of my car, nothing. Look behind, you know, you expect to see. Bounding down the carriage, absolutely nothing. We took the number plate, reported it to the police, and said they could never trace that vehicle. Interestingly enough, but in that situation, it was as though I heard a voice. It wasn't an audible voice. You know, my, my stepbrother next to me didn't hear the same voice, but it was it was clear. It was authoritative. I heard it clearly. And people talk about the still small voice using a sort of North American pulse. It's almost like it comes from left field. It's a little une unexpected. You know, that voice may not even come in, in a familiar language or tone. It's often surprising. It becomes almost as a, like a wow or a flash of inspiration. Something like this, you know, I, I didn't think of that. Frankly, I don't think I'd ever think of that. The point is, it's clearly not come from within you. It's clearly come from the Holy Spirit. It's a still and small voice. It's a gentle whisper. It's bright and clear. It almost comes as an interruption of your natural thought process, such that you ask, where did that come from? This is the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't shout, rarely parades, it's easily missed, but it's a key prophetic voice. Let me, let me read you a little story here. One night, a family with multiple children was noisily chattering away at the dinner table when the youngest, a four-year-old, stood up on the chair and shouted, Pass the butter! <laughs> His mother sat in stunned silence for a moment and then sent the young, ill-mannered child to his room. Later that evening, the father of the family told his noisy bunch that he'd sound recorded the evening mealtime. As he played it back, a quiet voice was heard asking, Please pass the button. A few moments later, the voice called out in louder, Could someone please pass the button? A few moments later, there was a thundering shout everyone remembered from the meal, Pass the button! Often, isn't it that God Often it isn't that God didn't tell us something. It was that we weren't listening. Yeah. Maybe there was too much noise and activity for the voices to recognise the still small voice of God speaking to our heart. See, here's the challenge. Eugene Peterson said, everybody else is noisier than God. And as I said, all seven of those voices are clamouring for attention, therefore it's easy to miss the voice of God. I, I 
like to use this illustration. You know, when you turn on your radio, remember those old-fashioned things you used to have? They called them the wireless, didn't they? Um, as you turn that on, and you muck around with the frequency there, it, it's not sucking the radio waves from the radio tower. And to get it to the right frequency, all of a sudden, they get sucked in. What's happening is, in, in that room, are all those radio wave signals, all there. But you have to tune the radio in, or just press the right button, up and down, in order to get on the right frequency, so you can hear the right <coughs> program. Hence, Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still, and know that I am God. We must learn to be quiet. We must learn to be quiet, literally and metaphorically, or God will pass us by, and we may not even notice. Summarize all of that. We must train our prophetic ear. We'll look at this in subsequent weeks. Prophecy starts with a question. God, what are you saying? where it starts. So, so I say this, next time, let's say you're in a deeper, meaningful, pastoral conversation with someone, in the middle of all that noise, just pause and stop and be still and ask God, what, what needs to be said here? God, what are you saying? Lord, what is it that they need to hear from you? And if we will still our noisy mind, if we will open those prophetic ears, something like this, just show me Lord. Just a word, just maybe something visual that I can, that I can picture. What scripture Lord applies in, in this situation? What, what would grace say here? What, what would truth say here? What, what would wisdom say right here? And I say that if you would stop and if you would open your prophetic ears, you might be surprised at what God can do. So I'll leave you with this closing thought. If we could switch off all the other noise and the voices and the influences, and if we could tune that dial into the Holy Spirit so we could hear His voice clearly and regularly, what would change? What would change in your life? What peril could you avoid? What blind alley or blunder could you avoid next time? Who, who could we help? Who could we help? What opportunity could we take advantage of? What, what kingdom fruit could we produce for him if we would learn to chew out all the noise and tune in to that voice of the Holy Spirit. And for me, and that's part of the reason for this series, those questions there are just too compelling to ignore. We need to learn to hear and to recognize his voice. We need to know the voice of the shepherd because he's leading us where to go. We need to learn to not hear or to learn to discern and distinguish the voice of the stranger who's leading us up the garden path. Hence, back to last week, 1 Corinthians 14, 1. Eagerly desire the gift of the Spirit, especially the 
Show us how you communicate. 